For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts, download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Come On You Spurs podcast. My name's Dan Tracy and I'll be your host for the next 45 minutes or so as we talk all things Tottenham. Because win or lose, and you know the rest, we'll discuss the news. And you know what keeps happening, we keep losing, but we keep chatting. It's one up top this evening, that means leading the line from the front around the captain's armband is Patrick. Patrick, the first time you're going to be wearing the armband, by default, unfortunately. However, how are you, my friend? We've not spoken in a fortnight, have we? Yeah, no, I'm all, I mean, I'm good that I'm on here with you. It's always a pleasure being on here with you. We get to talk and chop it up and catch up. Obviously, I'm pissed off about uh, yesterday's result. Another three goals shipped, another spanking. But the fact that it was against Arsenal, it's just, oh man, it hurts. And, you know, I've got a lot of friends. I mean, I live in Tottenham. I'm from Tottenham. And when we grew up, Arsenal were a much better team. So, Obviously, a lot of my friends, even though they live in Tottenham, they're all Arsenal fans. So I never can hide from games like this. And, you know, when we lose, I hear from guys that I've not heard from in six months, a year, everyone popping up, my phone's going crazy. And it's not been good, man. And the thing is, you can lose a game. I understand that. But the manner in which we lost, the game was over after like 20 minutes. So that is that's what hurts me the most. North London derby, no one was really up for it. You could see what it meant to those guys. And... We just got played off the park. I know we're going to get into it, but yeah, I'm I'm hurting right now. I can't lie. Hold those thoughts, Patrick, just for a minute or two. I, know, I can feel the, the frustration. You want to vent. It's times like yeah. this, Patrick. I'm glad I moved to Newcastle. I'm kind of out of the bubble. <laughs> but obviously, you know, I still want my team to win. But, you know, it's kind of, when's that win going to come? But we'll get to that in a bit. Because before we do, I want to also give a shout to Cole, who's unfortunately failed a fitness test this weekend. He should be back in the fold next week. So, Cole, if you're watching slash listening, get well soon. And also, I need to do the social media bits. That's as simple as, if you want to get in touch with us, you can. That's on Twitter, at C-O-Y-S underscore C-O-M. Don't forget, we're on the Coming Spurs app each and every Tuesday morning. We're on all the major audio platforms, that being Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, etc. If we're not on one, let me know. I'll get it sorted for you. Also, if you listen on Apple, don't forget to leave us a five-star rating. And if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe and all that nonsense. And also, feel free to leave some comments on the show tonight, because I'm kind of thrown it open to everyone. It's not just me. I want all your thoughts. So if you're watching, get involved. Right, let's get down to business. And that business is a third three-goal collapse in as many weeks because it's the more things change, the more things stay the same, Patrick. Now, once is a problem in isolation, that being the, the defeat to Crystal Palace. Twice is a blip, that being the defeat to Chelsea. Thrice is a huge concern. And as far as Tottenham's Premier League opponents are concerned at the moment, three is very much the magic number. So, Patrick, where's it all gone wrong since the international break? Oh, I mean, where do we start? Where do we start? I guess the questions have got to be initially thrown at the manager. You know, he's in charge now. It's his tactics that are deployed or lack of tactics. He picks the team. He's the one that G's the guys up. And to be fair, we're seeing too many mistakes. I know, you know, Nuno's a, a nice guy. Bless him. He's come out afterwards, took sole blame of it you know I got it wrong it's my fault this that that but how many times can you keep getting it wrong how many times can you keep feeding us the same lines we're only six games into the season and already it feels like it's a slog watching us you know I I can't remember well apart from the Man City game I haven't enjoyed watching us all season you know we've played a lot of games now I don't understand what his philosophy is I don't understand what his best formation is 
I don't understand what he's trying to do with this team. Are we a defensive team? Are we a team that's going to get on the ball and dictate? Are we a team that's going to attack? You know, what are our wingers doing? What are our fullbacks doing? I just don't understand. There's no patterns of play. There's no identity to this team. And yeah, it goes back to Nuno because I know we haven't performed at a high level for a while, but this team still has some players in it and we should definitely be performing better than what we are. I think we're like 19th or 20th in every stat that's going. Goals scored, goals conceded, you know, in terms of possession in the opponent's box. Basically, all the stats that you don't want to be on the wrong end of the stick on, we are. And right now, it's concerning, you know. I mean, like you said, you can lose a game, you can lose two games, but the manner in which we're losing these games, and it seems to be the collapse is in like a 20 or 30 minute spell. And then the game's done already. So, yeah, I, don't, I mean, obviously we're going to talk on it, but there's so much problems that seem to be uh, going wrong with Tottenham at the moment. Well, you mentioned collapse. That's the next word in my notes, really, because we're conceding these goals in pockets of time, which is a bit strange and a bit worrying because, you know, it's a three goal half, which we've shit, but then we're kind of looking at it and going, Oh, well, we matched them in the first half, that being Palace and Chelsea. Or we were better after the break, that being yesterday. And even that's a bit of a, a tight argument. But it's kind of, mm. that's all moot, really, isn't it? Because you just shit three goals or you will shit three goals. So it's all very well having a decent 45 minutes after the horse has bolted. Exactly. That's it. And like, you know, that first, Arsenal blew us away. And, you know, I thought... I know going to the Emirates is tough and even in our best of seasons and our best of teams, we've struggled there. But I really thought yesterday we would get a result thinking that Harry Kane would be up for it. He needs to prove a point to himself and to everyone else. You know, he's the king of the North London derbies. He's the highest goal scorer in North London derby history. I thought that, you know, he knows what it means. So I thought we would see Kane come back to life. Obviously, Sonny is Sonny. He's always good for a goal or two. And I thought that when I saw the team sheet, I was actually pleasantly surprised with it. Nuno went back to Dyer and Sanchez, who, you know, for all of their problems or all of our, all of our concerns with them, they had kept three clean sheets in a row. So I understood him doing that. The fullbacks speak for themselves. Tanganga in at right back, for me, was a good choice. Very good defensive player. Again, Tottenham through and through knows what a North London derby means. Maybe it's a bit too early for Emerson right now. So I understood that. The midfield kind of spoke for itself. Dele Ali was in the team. You know, Kane, Son... Uh, Lucas Moore was brought back in. For me, that's a good team. But it's just the way we set up, the way we actually, you know, basically from the beginning, we saw Dyer spraying long balls. And we're like, what's going on? We did it once. Okay, cool. Twice, three times. We weren't trying to play through the midfield. We weren't trying to play the game. And Arsenal were literally just passing us off the pitch. But also, as well as Arsenal had that guile and that tact, they were aggressive. They were winning second balls. They were chasing us down. They were pressing, pretty much doing everything we weren't. And then we just got basically choke-holded and after 20, 30 minutes, the game was over, like you said. It was a wrap. Well, last week I said on the show about the centre-back partnership, we had a discussion and we come to, not the conclusion, but an idea that in those matches that we were winning, it was Sanchez and Dyer, as you said. And at that point, it kind of their partnership, those two, that wasn't broken. So you thought, OK, well, we'll test it against Arsenal because we've got wins. Hopefully, those two can sort of at least deliver a solid defensive performance and get a fourth win of the season. But that's broken now as well. So at that point, Patrick, what dice do you roll? Because we're kind of going through all these combinations. We're sort of thinking, well, that's worked. It's not worked. We've tried something else. It's failed against Chelsea. It's failed against Palace. So you're kind of ripping up the rule book and starting again from scratch. Is this the point where you sort of say to Romero, it's him plus one, 
there's your sort of £42 million pounds that's been spent. Go and prove why you should be in the starting eleven and sort of work around him. I think so. I think you're spot on with that. I mean, Romero cost 42, 45 million, depending on what reports you read. Syria, defender of the year last year, fantastic Copa America, made the Copa America team of the year, helped Argentina win their first, you know, uh, honours in a long time. You definitely think he's going to be coming into the team and starting at some point, and it will be him plus one. Dio or, or Sanchez, I don't know who makes it. I would have probably said Dyer to begin with because he's a bit more calmer than than Sanchez. And you kind of got Romero. He's quite an aggressive, uh, you know, uh, centre-half, uh, centre-back, sorry. Then you pair him with Dyer. But I don't know. I don't know what will be. We'll have to see how that goes. But for me, it's Romero plus one. But at the moment, because Nuno's under so much pressure now after we've lost three on the spin, he may feel a bit apprehensive to put him in. Because again, if he makes a few mistakes or it doesn't go his way, then we're really, the fans are going to be on Nuno's neck. So it's kind of like he doesn't really have that luxury anymore to bed him in. And I know he's played a few minutes here or there, but if we were on under a better run, I'm sure Romero would have featured more. But it's a bit of a sticky one now because, you know, we lose our next game and the pressure's really going to be on Nuno now. You know, we've lost three in a row, which is quite damning. You know, and you can lose to Chelsea, don't get me wrong. You can lose to Arsenal again in the North London derby, of course. But it's the manner of the defeats, the way we're collapsing. And no one would have saw us drop points uh, at, at Crystal Palace. So that's the one that hurts the most, you know. So it's a bit it's a bit tricky. I, I would bring Romero in, but I would understand also, and I don't want to really be in Nuno's corner because I'm not a fan of his, but I would understand why he wouldn't bring him in also right now because of all the pressure that's on him and the team to perform. Yeah, I take your point there, Patrick. But I guess on the flip side of that, he's a forty-two million pound player. He's got to deal with pressure at some point. And then, yeah. at what point do you sort of say, "Let's look at it from the other side of the coin"? That let's say we beat Aston Villa, and you've got Darren Sanchez, and then Romero's not frozen out. But when does he get his football? So I guess if mm. there is a, a time to really throw him in and say, "Look, go and show the Premier League and everyone connected to it what you're all about. This is it," because you can't really hide behind you know, oh, confidence and poor performances and all that. I think you've just got to chuck him into the lion's den and see what sticks. And if we break another defender, then so be it. But talking of broken players, we're kind of at the point, Patrick, already where there's not many first-team players that you would think are missing. Maybe Steven Bergvine, which mm. then makes you sort of think, OK, Nuno's gone through a lot of combinations in personnel across the pitch, no matter the department already, and it's apparent that there's not really much left in the tank. And when you consider the chance window is not open till January, that's also a huge concern. Massive concern. And, you know, I thought we had a decent window, to be fair. Like, when I saw the players coming in, we kept Harry Kane. I was like, you know what? We've actually had a, a cheeky little window. And I, I was optimistic. But when you look at it now, the fact that we've got no backup striker, Harry Kane had to play in a conference league the other day. I'm all, already concerned about him burning out. Plus the fact that it looks like he doesn't want to be here anymore. And we don't really have anyone as much as, uh, you know, it's like almost like he's undroppable. And I hate to say that because no player should be undroppable. But he, for me, Harry Kane needs to be dropped right now. He doesn't look at it. He doesn't look like he wants to be there. He's basically putting in poor performances, uh, lack of energy, lack of basically application. But, you know, who, if we drop him, who do we bring in? That means we're playing essentially, you know, almost like in a Man City type of um uh, set up with a false nine. Yeah, but we've not we got have the personnel the... for that, have we? Let's yeah, exactly. That's it. That's the problem. We don't have the personnel to deploy that type of tactic. So that's where we're going to come a cropper. So, um, uh, it's, mate, there's problems there, basically. And the squad, I think, is quite thin. Um, I think we've got a decent set of wide players, 
wing forwards, wide players. But other than that, the midfield again kind of picks itself right now, which is a bit of a problem. Uh, defensively, we still don't know our best centre back partnership. So, yeah, there's there, there, there's definitely gaps in in, our, in in the squad, which you know, unfortunately for us, we haven't addressed. Well, we don't know our best right back really. I know Tanganga started mm. but got hooked. Emerson Royale new to the the club. You've got Sergio on the left, who's kind of losing a bit of yeah, he's looking, yeah. losing a bit of luster, not just in himself but also the fan base. I've seen a few more tweets over the past few days. Well, not past few days, but you know, yeah. past twenty four hours, should I say, to say that actually he's not the player he was six months ago, or maybe yeah. he's not quite the left back we all expected. So, what do you make of the former severe defender? I like him. The thing is, I do like him. And I know there's a player in there. Defensively, he's never been, you know, that assured. We, He's OK defensively. But, you know, what we get out of him is is essentially a, a really qual- good quality wing back going forward. Whipping in crosses, beating a man, taking them on. And then also the speed and recovery to get back into position or put in a tackle. But in the last couple of games, we haven't really seen either side of him. Um, when he first came into the league, like when we played Chelsea in the League Cup, Last year, he had a fantastic game. Uh, other than when he, he kind of sold himself short for Chelsea's first goal, where he went sliding across the pitch. But after that, he recovered. And then we've seen him have good performances, put in good crosses, you know, get on the end of tackles, really help himself, help the team out. But I don't know. I've not really seen that Sergio Regalon, that, you know, the swashbuckling uh, fullback, the flying wingback that we kind of would accept. And even yesterday, I mean, Tierney looked miles ahead of him. Oh, yeah. Uh, when you're looking at, yeah, left back compared to left back, Tierney looked miles ahead of him, more comfortable on the ball, better in possession, better defensively, you know, better going forward. So I don't know. Is it because, you know, it, it almost seems to me that these players are kind of, they've got the shackles on. It's like they're kind of scared to really express themselves. And um, I don't know if that's because of the setup. Or the tactics, or if it's Nuno, or I don't know, they just maybe it's just lack of confidence after three losses on the bounce. I, I'm not sure, but something doesn't seem quite right, and it's not just with Regalon. There's quite a few players that look like that right now. Well, if you're looking through the one to eleven of whoever's playing the last three weeks, I think a six out of ten for anyone would be generous. I know players have mm. sort of dug us out and stops us from getting absolutely smashed. You know, maybe even Larice against. Arsenal yesterday yeah. comes in for some credit, but you know so so many players under par, firing on half the cylinders they were last season, and even that wasn't a good season. So the regression is absolutely striking. And as I said earlier, we've lost three goals per defeat. You know, obviously three one on Sunday, but we're shipping three last three matches. To be honest, I've run out of new questions. Like I don't know how to reframe the same conversation because yeah. it's literally the same. So what I've done this week is I've thrown the floor, as I said, open to Twitter and I'm basically going to read out a whole host of viewpoints and thoughts and we can just dissect them all really. So that's not so we're going to overlook the performance. We'll get to that in a bit, but I just want to kind of get yeah. as many views as possible. So let's start in no particular order with Frenchie070. He says, when do we see the back of Enoch? Now I'll answer that very quickly. Not for a while, unfortunately. Whether you're Enoch out or Enoch in, they're not going anywhere. You know, they've got a lot of money to drain out of this club still, whether you are a fan of him or not. The big project is not really part of the, the football, is it? It's kind of more and more money. So they'll sell up when they're ready. So I don't think that's really part of the conversation. However, he also asks, why are we signing players for them all to start on the bench? The game changed when Brian came on along with Skip. What do you think of that? I agree. And um, if you look at it, I mean, if you look just across the road, Arsenal had about three or four of their new bucks in. Ramsdale, Tamiyasu, um who else did they have in? Uh, it, it kind of, but they at least had three three new guys in. Ben White, um, 
Ben White, there you go. And I think that's um, unfortunately down to Nuno not being brave enough and just letting the best... Like, Brian Gill has looked fantastic every time he's played. He's direct. He wants to get on the ball. He he gets in pockets of space. He makes things happen. He definitely should have started. But I think Nuno was a bit scared to, to test these guys out. And even Tanganga got hooked for uh, Emerson. So, again, that's possibly he should have started. So, we should have at least had two. Romero, as we all know, should be our best centre-back. So, he should be starting as well. So, that should have been three, three of our new signings starting. And it's a completely different... You know, there's a completely different complexion to that question. So, to be fair, that's Nuno. It's not the recruitment. I think the recruitment in that sense has been good. These guys are good players. But like you said earlier, they just got to get thrown in. We've got to test them. They've got to play now. Well, someone off the back of that, Napath won. He said that Tottenham fans as a collective were warned by Wolves fans about Nuno not playing new players. But I guess the counter to that point is that everyone's new from a Tottenham point of view. So, there's kind of new players that he would have inherited, new players that he would have signed. But... As you sort of just alluded to there, Patrick, a lack of bravery. If you'd have sort of thought, right, these players have been bought for a reason, not just to buffer out the squad. They're there to really challenge and get a first-team place. So where was the bravery yesterday? And I think really that's another blot on Nuno's copybook because we've seen, you know, if we call this a lack of bravery, we've seen a lack of action really against Crystal Palace. No subs after 45 minutes, which was a really sterile 45 minutes of football. Chelsea sort of sat on his hands again. So it's not just bravery or lack thereof at the Emirates. It's now quite a, an overriding feature, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, lack of lack of bravery, um, lack of... App. Basically, Nuno's in-game management seems really poor. And like you said, Wolves fans did warn us of this. They said that Nuno, in his second season, he kind of looked like disinterested, kind of didn't really have any answers when things weren't going his way. And yesterday, he seemed out of his depth. And don't get me wrong, I don't think Arteta was a great manager by any you know stretch of the imagination. But if you look at Arteta on the sideline yesterday, he was pumped, he was up for it, he was bellowing instructions, he was, you know, ah, you know, directing players, really up for it. Nuno just sat there again or stood there with his hands folded, and he just looked like he just didn't have any answers for anything. And it's quite worrying. We're only four, five, six games in. Why is your manager this uh, it's it's um it's a big concern and you know, Nuno was the guy that we appointed. Allegedly, Paratici was a big fan of his, was even interested uh, in, in Nuno when he was over at Juventus. So he saw something in him. But right now, I'm not seeing anything in Nuno. We're not better defensively. There's no patterns of play. The midfield doesn't look G'd up. Uh, defensively, we're struggling. Attacking-wise, there's not really much there. We're not creating chances. We're not getting at... You know, I just... I'm struggling to see what the reason of Nuno being here is right now. And I know... As much as I'm not Nuno's biggest fan, I understand that he needs a bit of time. It takes time to obviously implement your philosophy and your way of playing. It's a bit reactionary to get rid of him after six games, but there are a lot of worrying signs here right now. Yeah, we'll get to the Nuno in-out debate in a bit, but there's a lot more comments to get through. So let's look at Nut Spurs. He's offered a wide range. So he first says Undumbele is a luxury player. Answer these in a moment. So there's that one. There's also Kane having no impact on any games. Drop them, put some up front, then try someone such as Bergwijn, Brian Hill, for example. It's not working now, so change something, he says. Change the manager. Sorry, not change the manager, because it's been going bad for two years with three managers. So he's going for persistence with the manager for now, but a change of shape, a change of personnel. Would you go as far as dropping Undenbele and Kane? You know what, it's such a good question and it's such a hard question to answer because I really like what Undenbele gives us creatively going forward, but... 
he doesn't really offer much, does he? If we're being real, if I'm just, you know, I love Ndombele's skill, his flair. He can pick a pass and do something that no one else can do. But we're carrying a guy that we can't afford to carry right now. Um, we're not good enough to, you know, afford the luxury of somebody who can coast in and out of games and only apply themselves as and when they want to. Even Man City right now have 11 hardworking players. So we're not at that level where we can afford to carry our Ndombele. So, you know, we only get 68 minutes out of him at max. And even then, I saw him yesterday. He wasn't really tracking back. He was kind of putting in half ass performances when the ball was near him. He wasn't really trying. And if we're being real yesterday, he didn't really get on the ball to show much. He didn't do much. So for me right now, I would say drop him and put in someone that does want to play and will work their socks off. And yeah, for me, Harry Kane needs to also be dropped. As much as I'm a fan of Harry Kane, I love the guy. I'll always be grateful for what he's done for us. This version of Harry Kane right now, he's not it. And um, it's time Nuno makes a brave call and drops him. And we have people that want to play and actually want to work their arse off for the team. Okay, with that in mind then, say you dropped Harry Kane, Dorodo01 says his front three would be Bergvine, Sun and Hill. He says sees that as the best option, but that would still be a 4-3-3. So how can you fit that in and perhaps go to a 4-2-3-1? Is that what we're really crying out for in terms of shape? The thing is, it's such a. I agree with what these guys are saying that we have to drop Kane, but the problem is Son up top isn't really the answer, is it? He's not good enough to hold the ball. Don't don't get me wrong. Son is a fantastic player, a world class player in my opinion. Fantastic, one of the best in the Prem. But as an out and out striker, again, we lose some of what Son offers us. You know, running in behind or on the wing. So. We're going to essentially nullify one of our players if they're played as a striker. The same with Lucas Moura. I think he's great at receiving the ball, turning at players and running past them. And again, he's quite tricky and, and can find out, you know, uh, cause problems in the final third. But one of these guys will have to play as a striker, which means they're kind of nullifying an aspect of their game. But I think we're going to have to take that hit at the moment because Kane is offering nothing. And it looks like, don't get me wrong, players can have bad games and players can, you know, make mistakes. And But just for me, it looks like Harry Kane doesn't want to be there. The body language, the demeanour, he's not really at it. And we've played quite a few games now. He should be up to speed. And yeah, it's just like, you know, when he fell over for their third goal and he just the half ass running back and trying to, it's, that sums him up right now. Um, so I think, yeah, the, the Harry Kane getting dropped is what we would all like to see, but then it's just who comes in and what happens. Well, Bob Spur TV, who was on the show last week, he's left a comment, which you could be able to see on the screen below if yeah. you're watching, but he says the window doesn't allow us to drop Kane, which I think he's got a point really. So what do we do? Because I'll ask this question. Is Harry Kane bigger than the club? Is that really the fundamental issue in all of this, that we're kind of damned if we do, we're damned if we don't? And I know Carl said last week, he was confident that regardless of Kane being off form, he'll still get you 20 goals in the season. I don't really see that at the moment. He might get 10-15, but by Kane's own metrics, that's a bad season. So whether that's the, the ship sailing in terms of Man City move, where City go, do you know what, actually, you can probably get someone cheaper, younger, hungrier, a Haaland for maybe mm. even cheaper than 120 million. Do you know what I mean? Like There's probably a better option if they wait. So does this become a massive millstone for us now? Because we get a sulky Kane where if that move to Man City doesn't go ahead... Ever, you know, not to say his heart's in Manchester now, but yeah. where does he go? Like, does he also decline with the club? You know, surely they can't go hand in hand together. It's almost a crying shame if Kane's talent is then wasted for the next couple of seasons and he doesn't get the goal records that he's been hunting down. 
I know this is the problem and we're kind of leaving ourselves in a with a really sticky situation because we all said Harry Kane's a professional, he'd turn up to training, he would never do this and never do that. And we all were shocked in the summer when he didn't, you know, report for training for two days. Uh, then, you know, he came back late, didn't play in the first game against Man City, which almost was a blessing in disguise when we look at it right now. Because ever since Kane's come back into the team, the balance has been a bit off. And it's almost like when Kane wasn't playing, every player stepped their level up a bit more just to show, yeah, we're not just the Harry Kane team. We can do this without Kane. We can show that we're players as well. And since he's come back into the team, it just seems a bit off. The chemistry, the you know, the camaraderie, the, they don't seem to be all on the same page. But I've, I, I agree with what Bob Spurs saying. We don't really have the tools to drop Kane right now. As much as I want to drop him, if we drop him, we're going to be so much weaker up front. Um, centre-backs will just bully Kane and, uh, uh, sorry, bully Son and Lucas. They're not the most sturdiest guys, are they? And uh, unless we're literally playing to feet and, 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 and playing through the midfield, which I don't believe we've got the skills to do right now as well, they're just going to get phased out of the game. So it's a, it's a really sticky one, man. It's, it's a really sticky, sticky one. I think Kane has to play against Villa. And hopefully we see some sort of bounce back, which I thought would happen in the North London derby, and it didn't. If he doesn't against Villa, he has to be dropped. Well, there's always that argument that he's a slow starter, and that is true to a certain degree. But last season, he was just quick fire, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, so that kind of excuse was blown out of the water. You can't then regress back to that and go, OK, actually, he's a slow starter. He either he is or he isn't. And we kind of learned that he isn't anymore. So, yeah. as you say, if he doesn't score against Villa, we're into the seventh game of the season. I know he hasn't played all seven what, five and a half, he didn't play yeah, against Man exactly. City, yeah. coming against Wolves, so we're being slightly generous here, but even by his own standards, that's a drought, isn't it? But we don't have a replacement, so what can we do? There's also the risk you can't really run him into the ground should he really be playing Europa Conference League football. I know he played in the Carabao Cup, but you'd imagine going to Burnley away, you can't rest him, can you? There's no real other options, so is this a point where we play Kane every game until he breaks? I know, and that's the problem. Um, you know, we didn't address the second striker option or or, or um, position because last year we had Vinicius and we had Bale. Uh, we lost both of those players. And at the time, we didn't really think about it. I, it kind of skipped my mind. I knew we needed a second striker, but then I also forgot that we lost Gareth Bell. So when you look at it, the squad is actually a lot weaker now in terms of the quality against, you know, in the attacking areas. Uh, and we're, str- we, we're going to suffer now because, like you said, Burnley away, that's a Premier League team. It's an away fixture. They're going to go strong in that in, in that competition. If we don't put a strong team out, we could actually get battered uh, by Burnley. And that, again, is really bad for the morale and the confidence of a team that's already in the mud. So Nuno will have to go strong, which means Kane will more than likely start or feature. And again, he play, he's playing a lot of minutes. Um, so he's going to get heavy legs soon. So we are kind of in a position where we can't really afford to drop him, which I hate to say it because no player is bigger than the club uh, in regards to what um, one of the points was raised. But it seems right now we're kind of in that position where Kane will unfortunately feature, even if he's playing crap and looks disinterested, where if it was most other clubs, they would have options and they could just rotate or, you know, take him out of the limelight for a bit, let him get his head right and come back in. But it seems we can't do that. And that's where we're kind of stuck now, where our hand's been forced. OK, let me paint out a little theory here, a bit of a sliding doors moment. Mark Salter says that Harry Kane needs to go in January. So let's say that Kane isn't ticking any boxes for us. Let's say he gets to that half point of the season, scores less than 10 goals. I don't know, six, seven. Mm. As I said earlier, 
there's a theory perhaps that Harry Kane is bigger than the club. And let's say he's only got six, seven goals. And Tottenham go, actually, do you know what? Maybe now is the time to pull the trigger and sell him to City. On the caveat that we get a backup first, then he goes. Because City might be points behind Chelsea in the title race and go, actually, we really need that striker. We can't wait till the summer. We have to get aged, that, that man we're after, that man being Harry Kane. So do you think there's any percentage chance that he moves in the new year? Yeah, I mean, it's possible. It's possible. Um, you know, January transfer window is always a tricky one. But if we look back at it, there has been some big transfers that have happened in January. And like you said, if City really need that striker, they really need the extra 15 goals in the second half of the season, especially if they're fighting on all fronts in the Champions League. You know Harry Kane's got that pedigree. If Harry Kane turns it on, he's an elite striker, as we all know. So it's possible. But then the question is, what will the fee be? And will Daniel Levy accept it? Because if they're, you know, I mean, we all saw in the summer, we thought it was a done deal. But City didn't really come in with that second bid or a proper bid. So Harry Kane obviously didn't leave. So would they really be up for paying that money then? Or would they be cheeky and offer us something like 70 million, which we all know is not going to be accepted? So it's quite there's quite a few interesting you know, dynamics to it. But, you know, I think if a decent bid comes in, I was all for saying keep Harry Kane. But from what I've seen this 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 uh, season so far, get rid, reinvest and go again. Because, you know, Tottenham are a club that can survive after Harry Kane. There was life before him. There'll be life after him. And if he's going to be stuck like this, it's, it's no good for either club or player, is it? No, not at all. But Mark also adds another point. He says that Deli Ali has had one good game this season, and that's been enough to keep him in the team thereafter. So, why is that? When you look at Skip coming on yesterday, changing the whole dynamic of the midfield, yeah. are we looking now at a midfield double pivot of Huyberg and Skip going forward? You know, we need to just try and find something that works. It's not quite working yet. Is that the answer for midfield, say, from Saturday onwards? I think so. Hoiberg, Skip, and then Ndombele just in front of him. That gives you that safety and security. It gives you a bit more bite, and also Ndombele with a bit more of a free roll to get in the attacking positions where we need him, get on the ball and make things happen. Because like you said, when Skip came on, we saw an instant change in the game. You know, I was a bit worried at first. He, he slid in a bit rash, got the yellow card. And I was thinking, whoa, you need to chill out a bit. I think the the, the atmosphere and, and the occasion got to him. But after that, once he settled down, you saw really a player that had the desire and the hunger to make a difference, but also he had the quality to get on the ball and try and, you know, do something. I know that's not his game, but at least he was showing for the ball and making things happen. So he has to start for me. I was surprised he didn't start, but I understood, you know, him being young and his first time in his first real run in the team. Um, so, yeah, uh, that and that, like I said, gives Ndombele a bit more freedom. Uh, in, in regards to the Deli Ali point, really good question. I think, to be fair to Nuno, we all wanted Delhi. We all wanted to see Deli Ali get a consistent run in the team and to play because with Jose, he was in, he was out. He would have a good cup game or a good, you know, decent game in the Europa League and then be dropped the next game. And we all said it wasn't fair on him. He needed to play a consistent run of game so we could really see his level. He's played consistently every game for us now and started in every game. And apart from, like you said, probably the first game. We've not really seen Deli Ali have a good game. Yes, he's put in a lot of shit, uh, a lot of um, miles in terms of put a shift in, but we're not seeing the Deli Ali we know. And I don't know if it's because he's maybe deployed a bit deeper. Um, we saw the best of Delhi when he was 
deployed as a second striker, running off Kane, kind of Son running in behind, and Delhi was there running onto late balls. Ericsson pinging, you know, 60-yard passes and finding him. Like the two goals against Chelsea, the, basically the same goal, the headers and stuff like that. Um, we're not seeing that Delhi anymore. We're seeing a deeper, almost like a number six, number eight type of player. And that's not really his game. So, again, if he's not going to be played in a position where we know he's best, he needs to be dropped as well. Well, Ralph Leeson sort of adds to that and says, we keep losing the midfield battle in general. He alludes to the fact that constant changes in personnel doesn't help, which you've just said. So, in theory, we kind of need to find the two, stick with them. Yeah. And if it is Hjoyberg and Skip and what you said, Patrick, going forward, that offers... A little bit more balance. That 4 3 3 isn't quite working. So 4 2 3 1 might be the way ahead. But do you feel we also need a bit more aggression in the middle of the park? We do, we do. And that comes with um, you know, like Hoiberg, when when he plays for Denmark, we see him a bit more, he has a bit more of a free role. So he he has a bit more of a license to get forward. He has a bit more quality, or say I'd say time on the ball, and we're seeing that quality, him sliding in through balls. Uh, you know, getting into more advanced areas. We need to see that side at Hoiberg as well in a Spurs shirt. I know we needed to be that aggressor, that midfield breaker up a play type of um to be fair, yesterday Jacker scored Hoiberg. When you look at what Jacker did, Jacker was reading the game well. Every time we were getting into a rhythm or flow, Jacker would, you know, almost do like a Fernandinho type role where he knocks someone over, breaks the player, gets a commits a foul, but not enough to get a yellow card, but enough for the referee to stop the game. And usually you see Hoiberg doing that. But yesterday, I don't know why, he was almost on like the left wing or the right. It, it, was, it was weird. He wasn't in the middle of the park. So we need to see Hoiberg basically adding that bit more bite to his game like he had last year. And again, Skip will definitely bring, give us that. And even Ndombele needs to be a bit more assertive because he, he lost the ball quite a few times yesterday, which was, was a bit concerning. He needs to be stronger. I keep seeing him getting knocked over. Like against Wolves midweek, uh, you know, for their second goal, he got bodied off the ball and they scored. He needs to be a bit more aggressive on the ball now. Well, you mentioned Schoeberg and I've got a question from Jay Ubi and he asks about the lack of leadership from senior pros such as Kane and Schoeberg. Would you put Schoeberg in that bracket of a senior pro? I guess with the makeup of our squad... He kind of is, isn't he? So are you kind of worried that he's not stepping up to the plate a little bit more? Uh, that's a bit harsh on Hoiberg, to be fair. I know he didn't have a great game yesterday, but I do see him as a leader. I do see him as someone that is really up. I always see him shout, shouting at players, inspiring players, telling players to, you know, get on with it or get up or, you know, congratulating them, giving fist bumps. You see Hoiberg getting stuck in. So I wouldn't really say that. I'd say you'd want to see more from like your Canes, your Sons, your Eric Dyers, those kind of guys that are in the team, been in the team for a while and have a bit more of that senior citizen type of, or of role to them. Hoiberg for me does do that. Um, so yeah, I know Hugo is our captain, but sometimes it is a bit difficult when a goalkeeper is your captain because they're quite far away from the actual play. So yeah, you've got your Canes, Son. Like when Son scored yesterday, you saw him jeering up the team, like, come on, let's go, grabbing the ball, running back. He seemed a bit more on it than, you know, so he, it seems he's got that to him, but Son isn't really that kind of guy. But yeah, your Hoibergs, your uh, Eric Dyers, even Deli Ali now. Deli Ali's not that young anymore. He should be doing what we, you know, what um, uh, what um, Doobie, I think his name was said. So there's a lot of players in there that should be stepping up and and, and doing this now. Well, Larice, he's obviously our most senior pro. He shipped nine goals in three matches. They're not all down to him, of course. But yeah. are you looking at him and thinking, oh, it's nine goals he's conceded, or if it weren't for him, it could have been twelve or thirteen? So what's your stance on the French international? Exactly. I'm going with the latter. I think it's so unfair to Hugo because he's been 
a superb keeper for us for so long. And against Chelsea, <laughs> let's be honest, if it wasn't for Hugo, it would have been a cricket score. It would have been five, six or even seven. He had a great game. And it's so weird to say that after you get battered 3-0, uh, you don't really you know, usually say that your goalkeeper's had a good game, but he did. And yesterday, he was okay. You know, Some of the goals he could have probably got down a bit quicker. But again, he had a decent game. Um, he's been good for us this season so far, to be fair. I just feel a bit sorry for him because defensive lapses and, you know, lack of protection in front of him has kind of cost him. But yeah, he's been good. Um, I don't have any concerns with Hugo. There's a lot of players that I can point the finger at uh, and I'd be more worried at. Um, but I think Hugo Lloris has been decent for us so far. Are you concerned about his contract status, though? Is he not out of contract at the end of this season? And if so, will his age work against him? Because talent, not an issue. But will the board think... Well, we've had a really good stint out of him in terms of service. Is this the time where we part company? You know what? Putting another spin on that, will he want to sign a new yeah, contract? Yeah, well, exactly. Exactly that. Because <laughs> the way things are going, we're all over the place. Will you know? Will we have a new manager in the summer again? Where will we finish this year? Because I'd love for Hugo to sign a contract extension. So hopefully we can get that wrapped up sooner rather than later. Because the longer it goes on, the worse we could look as an outfit. And maybe Hugo might think, you know what? Maybe I want, you know, he's getting on now. Probably he's got one last decent contract in him. Maybe he'll want to go back to Paris or Italy or any. To be fair, he's a good, he's a top goalkeeper. I'm sure there'll be teams after him. Because um, right now, I don't know, Spurs aren't looking like that much of an attractive, um, you know, proposition. So maybe it'll be the other way around where we offer him a contract and he rejects it. Well, of course, if he gets to January, foreign clubs can have a word with him as well. So you want to get it tied up before Christmas or there's that kind of issue of, is his heart in it, etc., etc. You know, it, yeah. could, it could dissipate quite quickly, but that's for the future because I want to talk about the manager now. A few thoughts first, and then we'll get into our own thoughts. So John N said that when Sam Allardyce came to the Newcastle training ground when he started, he said that he had his own system and he wanted the players to play such as that. You get the idea of an Allardyce kind of yeah. football. Yeah. The players responded, "F off, we're not playing your football." Or words to that effect. Do you think the same things happened to Santo already? You know what? Back then, players had a bit more, you know, a bit more power than. <laughs> you can't imagine players turning around and saying, you know, f off now. But then, at the same time, if the players are feeling that, then go out and show, you know, prove it on the pitch. Because yes, the manager says to you, "This is what you're doing. This is what we want from you." But if the manager's not making the in-game tactical switches or doesn't have the nails to change things up then as a player get on the ball and make things happen or you know you know you can get in a better position edge out a bit more hug the touchline as a defender drop back a bit or push up a bit whatever whatever it is to change the game you as a player as a professional who reads the game you should know how to do that and take the game by the scruff of the neck and go and win it for us or get us back in the game and you don't really see anyone doing that so as much as yeah you think these guys aren't really understanding the tactics they're also not doing themselves any favors at the end of the day they're the guys on the pitch they need to actually stand up and own you know own when you get on on onto that touchline own it well if we take Nuno's sample of six matches I think we were all guilty especially on this show three weeks in top of the table everything was mm. rosy and why not because yeah. you're top of the table that stance has changed dramatically so we're kind of are we being a bit I don't know. It's harsh, the word. Were we too quick to praise him? Are we too quick to lambast him? When we sort of see comments such as Tottenham are going to be in a relegation battle, do you think that's just hyperbole from such a bad performance? Are the bad defeats kind of creating 
more of a, an issue than they are. Obviously, no one wants to see Tottenham lose, but we're getting absolutely pumped at the moment. Is that kind of feeding into the theory of, oh, well, he wasn't the man for the job, he wasn't the second man for the job, we've got this chancer in who's now seeing overseeing these awful performances. So are we kind of, I don't know, is it too much too soon for us to sort of make any rash statements or is this really a man out of his depth? Yeah, it's a tough one because we are kind of in that bubble, aren't we? And it's sometimes when you're in it, you can't really see the, you know, the wood from the trees type of thing. And, you know, I'm, it's it's a difficult one because I'm trying to answer this as, as, as unbiasedly as I can because I'm not Nuno's biggest fan. I never wanted Nuno. I wasn't happy when he was appointed. I thought it was quite an underwhelming appointment. But also at the same time, I do want to back the guy and give him time. And it's only six games. And when I look at it and I take a step back, it's only six games. He's won three, he's lost three. It's the same identical record as Arsenal. Arsenal right now, they're on cloud nine. Their fans are going crazy. They're getting uh, plaudits from the media. Everyone's saying how fantastic they are. We've got the same amount of points. So when you actually take a step back, as bad as it looks right now, things can change so quickly. We win our next two or three games and all of a sudden the feelings change, the atmospheres change and people are enjoying Nuno again. I mean, he got manager of the month. That says it all. So as much as, you know, that's why I'm not trying to say Nuno out and this and that, but it's so difficult because I wasn't really for Nuno to begin with. And when I'm seeing three bad, bad losses, it makes me also want to say Nuno out. But at the same time, I'm trying to be fair to him. It's a brand new team. You know, he inherited a lot of problems, as in Kane not wanting to be there, Endombele not wanting to be there. A lot of late signings coming in. Then he had the whole COVID debacle, a lot of injuries. So when you take a look at it, there is a lot going on there. And I like him as a guy. He is a really top class guy, decent man. He's not thrown any player under the bus when he could easily could have. Uh, he's taken all the blame on himself. So I do hope that he gets it right. Because to be fair, the best of Nuno, if we get the best out of Nuno, then we get the best for Spurs. So that's how I'm looking at it. But at the same time, I need to see a bit more. I can't lie. I need to see a bit more from Nuno selection and also him actually for the neck you know things aren't working out like Thomas Tuchel things aren't working out after the first 20 or 30 minutes he's making changes straight away we need to see a bit more of that from Nuno this is it you can't really see him overturning a poor situation can you obviously Palace we referenced nil-nil that was poor although it was a draw at the time it was going nowhere and you that point, you sort of think, right, where's yeah. the interest to turn the game, come out of this uh, exactly. situation with a win? Didn't happen. Against Chelsea, everything was just kitchen sink thrown within the first 20, 25 minutes and then out of puff, yeah. out of idea, second half, completely capitulated straight after the restart. Sunday, we are nowhere near the pace to start the game. We're 3-0 down at half-time. The game's gone, but the system is wrong. Even his words at the end, he kind of mm. admitted he got it wrong without admitting he got it wrong, if that makes yeah. sense. There, He couldn't really come out and say that, but he may as well have said that. So you're kind of sort yeah. of looking at what he's done thus far and there's a lack of inspiration or thinking, yes, this is the man who's going to turn things around. But mm. I guess a lot of it's also with narrative because if Tottenham lose their first three games of the season, everyone will be going, what on earth is going on here? Who is this man? This is the worst appointment ever. But, as you said, Arsenal got the same point. So, if Spurs then won the next three and he turned it round against Palace, beat Chelsea, beat Arsenal, we'd be here tonight thinking, well, actually, do you know what? A slow start, but we're going in the right direction. So, I always feel six matches is a little too early to throw the baby out of the bathwater. Ten is a fair benchmark, but even ten matches Mm -hmm. is very early. And that's a point that Chris, the coach, 
mates, in that great teams aren't built in three months, and rightly so. Some people may not like Nuno, but he deserves time and support to build a competitive side, which is fair enough, because when you look at the window, he hasn't been backed. So are we being unrealistic in our assumptions of what Nuno could do this season? Are we really in for the, the rough ride? Is this the painful point of the transition that probably should have happened three or four years ago? I think so. I think so. And um, was it Chris you said that made the point yeah. that you just... Yeah, spot on, Chris. I agree with you, you know, wholeheartedly. And that's why, as much as I, you know, I wasn't Nuno's biggest fan. I still, I'm still not. But at the same time, I want the guy to do well. And I want to become, I want him to win me over. I want to see, you know, he's a lovable guy, but I want to see that transition onto the pitch. I want to see the guys, you know, ride for him. It looked like against Man City. This is what puzzles me. And I, this is why I'm so baffled because against Man City, it looked like every player bought into Nuno's tactics. We defended like stallions. We had our back to the wall. We were fantastic. But we also had that attacking impetus. And it seems that since then, things have kind of tailed off. You know, the Wolves game, again, we were decent in spells. But Wolves, if we're being honest, should have got something out of that game. Uh, Watford, yeah, the Watford aren't great. We should have scored a few more. But also they could have scored. So we were quite lucky in that game. And then since then, it's kind of, you know, we've fallen off a cliff. So there is something there. Like even in the Chelsea game, I know, you know, we have to play a full 90 minutes. Games aren't decided at half time. But in the first half against a very, very good Chelsea team, we were 100% in that game. So there's spells where we can see that there is something there, but we need to see it for 90 minutes. And we need to see it. We need to see us take the game to a team and play on the front foot. It is way too early to get rid of him. But also at the same time, if he loses another two games, would we be surprised if Levy pulls the plug? Probably not. So this is the problem. This is where we are as football fans. And in this kind of current climate, things like this happen. So he's really walking a tight rope right now. Well, let's assume the worst because we are football fans and we do lose the next two league matches. Is Daniel Levy too proud to pull the trigger and show Nuno the exit door. If he does, who comes in? Would you go back to Ryan Mason being caretaker for quite a part of the season, three quarters of it, which is a lot different when you're kind of on autopilot for the final six. Would you trust Ryan Mason for such a long campaign? Not to say he would relegate the club or anything, but surely you're writing off the whole campaign thereafter. Yeah, exactly. And this is what you said, what you alluded to, that painful rebuild. Because even if we sack Nuno, this is my problem and what I stated on one of my tweets. If we get rid of Nuno, who comes in? At this moment in time, we can't really get, you know, your Graham Potters or your Ten Hags. These are guys that I would have liked to see come in if we weren't going to go for, the, obviously, the elite super, super managers. They're not going to lead their club midway through a season. Well, it's not midway, is it? It's so early, but coming into a team which has so many problems, hence why we're sacking another manager. It, 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 it's, um, it's a big ask for a manager. And we're not the shiny, you know, uh, attractive club we once were because we are sacking managers left, right and centre if, God forbid, the worst happens and Nuno goes. Any manager that comes in knows there's problems, hence why these managers keep getting sacked. So Ryan Mason, again, I like the guy, you know, top... Well, I say he wasn't a top player, but a really good guy, uh, Tottenham through and through. But would I want to see him manage us for the for the rest of the season? No, not really, because God knows where we could end up, you know. Uh, and that's no discredit to Ryan Mason, but it's um, you know, I didn't see enough of him in those games to 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 get, fill me with confidence that he could lead us to a top ten finish. And that is not where I want to see Spurs. You know, I don't want to see us floating around eleventh, twelfth, or thirteenth. We should ideally be going for the top six. If we fall away from that, fine. 
But my my um remit for this season was top six and uh, and the conference league trophy. So I still want to hopefully see us, you know, kind of be there or thereabouts. Well, not to pull you up personally, Patrick, but your language there, focus on the top six. Is that not a damning indictment of the kind of regression? Because the language of the last couple of seasons was, well, top four. We've got a squad good enough. Yeah. And now we're kind of thinking, well, top six, I don't know. Because even like West Ham, for example, they're playing entertaining football. I'm not saying they're better than Spurs, but they're not a bad Mate, team right, at the moment, are they? Right now, right now, they are better than Spurs. Well, like, okay. To be honest, like, yeah. <laughs> last year, and I'm a Tottenham fan through and through, as you know, but right now... I'd say West Ham are better than us, unfortunately. They finished above us last year in the league. And if you look at the football they played last year and even this season, they definitely look better than us. And I'm hoping things change. You know, like I said, in football, things can change quite quickly. But if I'm being honest right now, I'd be scared to play West Ham. Um, I think they could turn us over. So, yeah, we have fallen. We have fallen, um, you know, by the wayside. We were a team that was chasing top four and quite comfortably finishing in those positions. And I used to love it that all the pundits every year would never had us in their top four. Every year they're like, oh, this is the year Tottenham fall away. They're not going to... And we were comfortably finishing the top four. And now top six is a big ask because you've got your West Ham's, you've got your Leicester's, you know, you've got uh, Arsenal at the moment. I know it's kind of early days, but they look like if they're, you know, if they start clicking, they could be heading in the right direction. There's a lot of teams fighting for those spots. So... I do think top six is realistic uh, and a trophy, as in the Conference League, we're in there. That's probably our our most credible, not credible, but probably our best route to a trophy. But yeah, I can't see us finishing in the top four. I hate to say it. You've got Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea, Liverpool. Those teams are way stronger than us. Uh, and they essentially be, you know, three, three horse, four horse race for the title. Then you've got the best of the rest. And I'm hoping we fall into that. Well, the notion of the big six is kind of falling apart in front of our eyes, really. It used to be the top four. Then it was the big six when Spurs and City gate crashed it. And it's kind of regressing back to the top four. So with that in mind, and it's a very hard question to answer, but to finish, I'm going to ask it anyway. Would you kind of chuck everything to the point where it doesn't matter where we finish in the Premier League as long as it's the top 17 and just go all out for a cup? Don't care what cup it is. Go and win some silverware because you'll get back into Europe eventually. If you're not getting into the Champions League... Go and win some silverware. Like, what is fifth and sixth really when this trophy drought is so so dry? What would you do? You know, that is such a good question, and it's so, it's something that I'm sure if you ask me today or you ask me next week, it will change. But it depends when you say in the top seventeen, where though? Because if we're finishing fifteenth and we win an FA Cup, would we be happy with that? I don't know. Would you be happy with that if we finish fifteenth and won a cup? Um, well. Let's be honest, no one would be happy with a 15th place finish. Yeah. I'm not advocating that at all. However, it would be great just to celebrate something. I'm sick of mm. getting so close to the line and not getting over the line. Whether that line yeah. is in the Champions League final, or winning the Premier League, and even just the fact we're now worrying about just a cup, whereas we were knocking on the door of the highest prizes and now we're nowhere near those highest prizes. Yeah. Not to say we never will, but they look a long, long way away at the moment. So... And again, as I said to you, it's an impossible question to really answer because how can you gain the season between now and May thinking we're only yeah. going to win a cup? What if you get to the semi-final of these cup runs knowing you've stunk the league out and you lose the semi-final and then you finish 15th? There'd be, you know, oh, bed them. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, it, you know, it's very difficult. It's, it's the kind of question you can answer really in March when you really know the lie of the land. If you know mm. your season has really slipped away, you think, Do you know what, sod it. Let's just put all the eggs into the FA Cup quarter-final away 
I don't know, Man City. Let's get yeah. that one and let's go and celebrate something. So it's probably a little bit early, but I don't know. You know, it's kind of, as I said earlier, we're not going to be in a relegation battle. We won't. There is enough quality yeah. there, but I do worry yeah. about where we will finish. You know, we're not a top four team by any stretch of the imagination. No. Even the most ardent Tottenham fan would have to admit that, yes, there's quality throughout the squad, but it's not top four quality. Quality There is regression there. So you're looking down the line, as you said, Patrick, West Ham, Leicester, Arsenal, there are rivals. Even Everton, yeah. Rafa Benitez, he can do a job yeah. there at Goodison Park. Whether true. Everton will knock on the top four door themselves, I don't think so. But it's kind of the top four is getting further away and the next yeah. group has now got fatter. So there's about five, maybe six clubs who've got ideas of finishing anywhere between fifth and eighth or ninth. So that's going to yeah. be kind of our competition this season. Now, again, if you finish 8th or ninth, you might not get into Europe. But if you finish 8th or ninth and win the Cup, then you will get into Europe. So if you're not going to be in the Champions League, all the other prizes, and no disrespect to the Europa mm-hmm. League or Europa Conference League, they are going to be second or third tier. So your kind of league positioning is not as relevant. So, you know, it's a conundrum where there's so many ifs and buts, but, you know, there's no real right or wrong answer. I'm not sort of saying, would you get relegated yeah. and win a Cup? Because you'd be mad. Do you know what I mean? But... It's a great question. And to be fair, I'd probably say, ideally, I want us to finish in the top six and win the Conference League. If we don't, then I'm seventh or eighth and we win a cup. Then for me, that's a good season. Considering where we are right now, new manager, we've had a lot of problems. I would take finishing eighth and a trophy of any sort. But ideally, I want us to finish in the top six and win the UCL. We're in that uh, Conference League. To be fair, only us and Romo, you'd say, are the strongest teams right now. We should be going all out to win that. Uh, So... Well, yeah, is, is that a way that Nuno could adhere himself to the fan base by winning a cup? Let's say the league doesn't go any way that we want it to, really. That being, I don't know, a top seven, top eight finish. But we win the mm. Europa Conference League. Like a kind of one-day Ramos figure that mm. won the Carling Cup 2008, was atrocious the next season, was out by the following October, but won some silverware. So maybe that's, I don't know, whether that's a good thing to sort of praise that we have a manager who wasn't very good but won us some silverware. But we kind of just need something as a club to just bond us all together. Exactly. Cause no. It's getting so yeah. fractious and toxic. And that's everyone's yeah. right. You know, you can moan as much as you like. And that's the joys of social media that everyone's got a platform to whinge. Because mm. that's what we're doing at the moment as Tottenham fans. Is <laughs> but, you know, you kind of just need something to sort of hold on to because Enoch is just sucking the life out of the club. So maybe Nuno wins a trophy this season as a disaster next season and it's all done and dusted. But another sort of deck chair moves around and the new manager comes about. It's all yeah, about exactly. timing at the same time, isn't it? Yeah, and I'd love that. I mean, I'd love for Nuno to win something. Who wouldn't? You know, as a Tottenham fan, who we've been starving. We're starving for silverware. We're starving for trophies. So why not let Nuno win something? And then, you know, he's only signed a two-year contract. And, you know, manager signing a two-year contract, it doesn't really show faith in the, in the manager, does it? But at the same time, he's been given a chance at a big club I really do. I, I really do hope that he um, turn, I was, turns it around. Is maybe a bit harsh because it's not that. Well, it is kind of bad, isn't it? But <laughs> I'm just trying to say. Well, you know, we're fifty fifty. We've won three, lost three. So it's, it's kind of like on the fine lines. We win the next couple of games and things will start looking better. Um, but yeah, I, I do hope that Nuno does win us some sort of trophy, some sort of silverware. You know, there there is a good manager in there. I mean, when he was at Wolves, they finished seventh. Uh, they pretty much were, were level on us with points, but they um you know finished below us on goal difference. And people forget he finished above Arsenal and Arteta. So there is a decent manager in there. He's he he got Wolves into Europe as well. So you know it's I just hope things can click for him. I hope he can be brave enough to find the right 
formation with the right players and then we start going on a run. Because right now there's too much chopping and changing. He needs to just play what he feels is our best 11 in their best positions and then we kind of start picking up some former momentum. Yeah, I think really, let's see where we are at the November international break. If we're still losing three, drawing three, that kind of ratio, it's 50-50. Then we might have to ask questions about whether he really is the man for the job. But just keep the faith for now, because it is only six Mm. games in. There's 32 to go and all the silverware still on offer. So let's not be too hasty. I know a lot of people, I know Premier Hotspur has said he's Nuno out and never wants him in the first place, but we've got him really. And as we just sort of said, there's no real great other option. So we have to kind of like it and lump it for a few more months at least. But next week, we'll be back with the Aston Villa review. Before we do all that, Friday is a preview show. I think so. I don't think I'll be about, but there'll be enough people to man the channels on that front as they look ahead to that game. But to wrap up this one, I need to do the admin, which is as simple as thanking my one Pod Squad member. Patrick, thank you for running the channels on your own this evening. A Herculean task, but thanks for wearing that captain's armband. Uh, it's been a pleasure. It's always great. Like I said, it's always great chopping up with you. Always have fun being on the streams and the pods with you. Unfortunately, it wasn't under the best of circumstances. But as I said, we love talking Tottenham, so it's all good. We certainly do. Even in defeat, it's always good to get it off our chest. So with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. And until next time, come on you Spurs! For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts, download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play.